what is it about how and kind of what it brings to our community that has you so involved in it? The Howies. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the people that come year after year after year. We're like a community now. And I am always thinking about them when I'm curating the main stage. In this podcast, we'll talk about the ups and downs of the design and marketing business, lessons we've learned and share ideas and support that get us through the day. And sometimes we'll just shoot the shit. So welcome to the Creative Shit Show. Team, we have a fantastic guest today, the one and only Debbie Millman. As you know, she's the creator and host of the world's first podcast about design. She's not only a designer, brand expert, one who's interviewed musicians, curators. By the way, Debbie, Design Matters, Rick Rubin episode. Love it. Thank you. But she's also an author. Don't miss her new book, Why Design Matters. Her articles, her work with Print Magazine. There's so much for us to get into your art speaker, your creation of your series, How Conference. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin. Hey. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Vaughn. Oh, and, and you know what? Before I forget, and also I should have said this in your opening, now a multi-Webby Award winner. <laughs> nice. Yep. As, as Emily Oberman said, I can no longer refer to myself as the Susan Lucci of the Webbies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, That's so good. Just for the record, like how many times were you up for it and then you finally won one? Well, I've gotten 10 nominations overall, but that included the two from this year. So eight nominations okay. with no wins and then two nominations with two wins. Awesome. Well, well it's well deserved. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. It's I love kind your of speech surreal. too. It was just like five words. It was awesome. <laughs> well, that's all they're allowed. They only, everybody on stage is only allowed five words. And the funny thing is you have to submit what you're going to say, you have to submit a recording and then they choose who's going to be on the stage. And the deadline was last Thursday night. So I sent it in Wednesday night and then I heard almost instantaneously, yes, before the deadline even. So I'm convinced that they just felt really bad that I had to wait this long before. <laughs> but that's okay. You know, it's the long game. I'm always playing the long game. Yep. Oh, I love it. Well, we're so excited for you to join the show. And I know there's multi-topics that we want to get into, but I'd love to open up really about just your participation and curation around the How Conference. I think one of our first questions is, what is it about How and kind of what it brings to our community that has you so involved in it? The Howies. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the people that come year after year after year. We're like a community now. And I am always thinking about them when I'm curating the main stage. That's that's really what I work on. Um, mm -hmm. I do a couple of breakouts, but mostly that's younger people that are often my former students who I think are amazing and are doing great, great work. Um, but mostly I do the main stage and I'm always just thinking about, well, what would what would what would that person like? What would what would Mr. Moomau want? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I love that. You do a great job. Thank you. You've really stepped it up. Thank you. Well, this year I'm really excited because I wanted to go all out. It, it's just completely star-studded. This year it's mm -hmm. crazy. It I is. Mean, like I said, Emily Oberman, Paula Scher, Michael Beirut, Stefan Sagmeister, Jessica Hish. I mean, it's crazy. Rick Griffin, Story Tunstall. I mean, I yeah, we got lucky. We the Howies got lucky. We all got lucky this year that they all all of those incredible people said yes. 
Well, that's great. We can't wait. When I saw the speaker list, I told Amy Conover, I was so impressed with how it's all come together this year. And we can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. Yay. It's in such a fun location too. What I like about how is just how intimate it is. You know, no other conference can you go to and wander around in the conference hall and run into the stars, like you said, and just have totally normal conversations. And it's just so casual and intimate. I mean, that that's probably my favorite thing about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also a place where I think you can see first time speakers also like the Mm -hmm. stars, the the emerging stars, the Mm -hmm. young guns, the folks that are the new visual artists, the people that you know, are on a trajectory that is going to be extraordinary to witness over the next couple of decades. That's very exciting. Like one of the speakers in the breakouts is Santiago Carasquilla. And he was a student of mine from 10 years ago. And he has a company now called Art Camp. And he's just been killing it, killing it. And he was a young gun and a new visual artist. So I'm super excited about his being on the stage and witnessing how far he's come and even just being able to say in another 10 years, like, remember when you were in Howe and you did your first talk and all of that. And then you can be right. like Justin who just... Wait a second. What are you talking about here? What's the laugh about? I'm just saying 10 years later, here you are. You're still here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we all are. We all yeah. are. We all are. I'm just glad Amy and, and Debbie and everyone keeps having me. I enjoy it. You know, Debbie, I will say one thing that I don't believe gets credited to you enough is just your work of all of the next generation. That's one of the things I just really appreciate appreciate about you um, with your students, but also your graciousness at the at the conference, talking to people and everything else. I remember, I think the first year they asked me to do the, the round tables. And I'm like, who in the world's going to do a round table? I mean, I would have loved it. But and then I remember my first time I, I sat right next to you and I was just like, this is the best. This is what this is about is creating a community of people to go to. And I didn't think anyone was going to use them at first. And, and they did. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts is to sit and, and talk to people and, and kind of see where they're at. Well, you know, first of all, I have to say it's been 40 years since I graduated college. I graduated college in 1983 and like exactly 40 years ago because it was May of 1983 and immediately um, came to Manhattan. I was a native New Yorker, so it wasn't that big a move because my mother was living in Queens. My father was living in upstate New York. So moving to Manhattan was not that big a radical change. Nevertheless, um, it was the first time that I was on my own and really paying, you know, sort of big time rent and all of that. And I had no clue what I wanted to do and didn't know about things like AIGA or how or any of the really wonderful ways that people can meet other like-minded designers and practitioners and artists and so forth. And my first 20 years in the business were really rough. I had a lot of obstacles, a lot of rejection, a lot of failure. And so I am not the type of practitioner like Jessica Hish or Jessica Walsh or Timothy Goodman or even Santiago that comes out of the gate and is just like a wunderkind. I'm the opposite. And so I always have a lot of heart for anyone that is trying to make something of themselves and maybe doesn't have those doors wide open for them to burst through. Um, And so I feel like it's really important 
to be able to share as much of that as possible with other people that might be going through similar things at their stage of their career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody has their different path. Everybody has their different journey. And I have received so much generosity from so many people, whether it be people like Michael Beirut and Paula Scher and Stefan Sagmeister and Emily Oberman, all of whom came on my show in the very first season when it was just this rinky-dink modem internet radio show. It, was a, it wasn't even a podcast yet. And that generosity is something I always want to pay forward. That's wonderful. One of the things I love about how is that it's kind of a no ego zone. Mm-hmm. So you have people from that are just starting out, people that have been in the business forever, and like our, ourselves, and you know, we all just hang out together. It's a huge love fest. Yes, and, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, the parties are pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, the parties are awesome. It's always we always say it's the after hours that you know the really the magic really happens. Right. Absolutely. So fun, though. I mean, Vaughn's coming back this year. Yay! How long has it been, Vaughn? Um, 2015, something like that. Yeah. So you're going to behave? You're going to be in any um, <laughs> costumes or anything that we no, can expect? No, 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 no more costumes. I'm not <laughs> going to do that again. <laughs> How many years have you been doing the podcast? 18. Wow. <laughs> okay. So, 18 years. So was that before iTunes came out with podcasting? Yes. I used to, so Brian e. Gomez Palacio, um, one of the co-founders of the blog Speak Up, and now one of the co-founders of Brand New, I was complaining to her about, or maybe maybe complaining is a little bit of a stronger word. I was lamenting the fact that <laughs> at the time, uh, my dad, who was a bit of a technophobe, was having problems listening to the show in real time when I aired the show because it was live and it was then rebroadcast once in the wee hours of the morning later in the week. Okay. Uh, but he was having trouble, you know, getting on on time just because of the links that he didn't understand. Sort of the way I joined Zencaster today. Very similar. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely my father's daughter, for sure. Um, and so she recommended that I consider uploading the digital files that I received from the radio station that I was broadcasting from and upload them to iTunes as if I were an indie musician. And then I could share that link and it wouldn't be something that was just one link and instantly clickable. And so that's what I did. And that's how it inadvertently became a podcast because very shortly thereafter, there was a podcast section and then I listed, we had to apply to list your show in the podcast section. I think there were like a hundred podcasts, if that, Mm -hmm. at that point. Wow, Wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah. That's so cool. And I've just been doing it ever since. So if I've been in my career now for 40 years and I've been doing the podcast for 18, I didn't really hit my stride, you know, figure 22 years into my career, I started the podcast and it really wasn't for another four or five years that I got any good at it. (laughs) Those first hundred episodes on Voice America are unlistenable. We know the feeling. (laughs) So out of everything you do, what is your favorite thing to do? 
depends on the day. It depends on the kinds of students that I'm teaching. I had one of the best undergraduate classes I've ever had this past semester. So that really reinvigorated me. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll finish a semester with a group of students that'll be like, maybe I should stop teaching. <laughs> and, and this wasn't one of those. This was one of those classes where I had 18 students, 13 had perfect attendance. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, wow. unheard of. Now I bribe yeah. them. I bribe them. I give them a gift. They're allowed to pick out a, from a group of things if they have perfect attendance. But that does not mean that there's going to be a majority of students that have perfect attendance. There have been times where I've had like four students out of 18. So wow. 13 really showed me, you know, how engaged they were. And there were a couple that were only one absent or you know, and that's still pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I do love teaching. Um, I also love doing the podcast very much. I'm a little bit burnt out because this year I did, I don't know the exact number, but it's over 40. Yeah, wow. it's been a lot. Yeah. And so we started with reruns uh, this week and we'll continue with reruns for a couple, probably a couple of months just because I have so many now that I did in the last year, although I am scheduled to interview two people that I've always wanted to interview. So that's, I don't know if I'll hold those for a new season or just have them come out as special episodes, but they're with Gloria Steinem and Kevin Kelly. So, yeah. Uh. I was wondering if it was Michelle Obama yet. Well, hopefully, hopefully I did write them. So this is kind of crazy. I I wrote her people and... I got a response back, which Ooh, I know wow. I, that was, that was a day. Uh-huh. And, and um, they said that Mrs. Obama was not doing any more interviews for the time being. She had just finished a whole slew, which is why I wrote and saw that she'd been doing so many. And, um, but they would keep me in line for the future. <laughs> wow. so cool. And I have to say that, when people say no, they don't say no. They mm-hmm. just don't respond. You know, there's hundreds of emails that I've sent asking for people to be on the show, just no response, just crickets. So mm-hmm. the fact that this came in as a, we'll keep you in mind, which, and it was seemed very genuine. I think there might've even been like an exclamation point in there somewhere. So <laughs> I feel hopeful. I feel hopeful. Yeah, yeah that's great. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that would be well, a dream. Luck. There are a couple of people I'm just, you know, just being absolute. Well, one of those people was Gloria Steinem. So I'm hoping that's that works amazing. out. And, and then that would be, yeah, that's a, a dream come true. Are mm-hmm. you doing the show at How too? Are you doing I'm a- doing a live episode with Paula, Michael, and Emily. Okay. So we're going to do a panel discussion mm-hmm. on the 50th anniversary of Pentagram mm-hmm. and their magnificent 50th anniversary two volume book, which is just, I have it behind me. It's an impossible book to even hold with one hand. I think Michael is planning on bringing a few, but this must weigh 10 pounds. Look at this. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sorry, I know that for those that are just listening, that you are wondering. We'll put a picture of it. What, uh, what the heck I'm showing Yes, please do, because it is absolutely magnificent. Magnificent. It's, there will never, ever be another firm like Pentagram, because right. the history that they share, there's just nothing, nothing, no, no one else has ever been able to do as much as they've all collectively been able to do and still are doing. 
that's part mm-hmm. of it too. You know, way back to the beginning with Alan Fletcher and Colin Forbes, and then all the way till today with three of the people that are going to be on the house stage. One of the things I love about Pentagram and when they share details about the business is they talk about how the business works. Mm-hmm. And I just find that fascinating. It's one yeah. of my, you know, I love the work and everything, but I love the collaborative business part of it that they share and how all of that works. Yeah. Um, hopefully they'll talk a little bit about that. Oh yeah, we'll definitely. I actually had the opportunity to have Thanksgiving type lunch with Paula Share at AIGA Minnesota. It was their design camp that they do and she happened to be there. So I got to have yeah. like a random Thanksgiving lunch. I went to I went to one as well. That was the the when I went to Minnesota's design camp, that's when I met Jessica Hish for the first oh, okay. time. Isn't and she's fabulous. She, yeah. She's amazing. And we've been, I mean, this was like 10 years ago. And she recently found a picture of us from then. And oh my God, we both were so young. <laughs> young and beautiful. Young and beautiful. Those events are fun, though. I mean, that, that's a really good one. They managed to get some big star studded people to come out to that property. Yeah. And, and it's such a good time. It was outstanding. Tell us about your book, Debbie. Um, Well, my book came out last year. I created it during COVID. Really challenging. Mm -hmm. And it is a coffee table book that is both very visual with 50 plus uh, very candid portraits of people that I've interviewed, as well as interviews, edited interviews of, of those same people. And then also individual quotes sort of peppered throughout that are things that people have said on the show, as well as a couple of essays. Uh, my wife, Roxanne Gay, wrote an essay. Tim Ferriss wrote an essay. Steve Heller wrote an essay. Zach Pettit wrote an essay. And uh, Maria Popova from The Marginalian, which was formerly Brain Pickings, wrote an afterword, which mm-hmm. is really quite beautiful about the notion of having a moment in time expressing who we are at that moment in time and how that stays sort of frozen, but we keep growing and moving and evolving. Oh, that's, I love that. Really thought provoking. Yeah. Now I'm stuck there. I'm like, how conference you showed your process of making the book and the covers and all that stuff. And that was just, I just thought that was thrilling and exciting and also very relatable um, as someone who started in book design and that sort of thing. What did you enjoy the process of writing it more or sort of curating and working with the, with the design team on the, on the book? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's funny because I'm working on a new book now and I'm actually really enjoying the process. I did not enjoy the process of creating why design matters. Um, I had a very troublesome experience with my editor, um, Paul Sayre, my designer did as well, which resulted in him quitting. And then I had to find another designer and 
we did as as I showed last year at How. I think ninety. We had ninety covers before we had a an approved cover. Um, wow. So no, it was a really really unfulfilling experience. The one thing that I did enjoy, which was super surprising because I did not expect that to be the outcome at all was photo editing. And I was intending originally pre-COVID to go around the country and take candid photographs of the people that were going to be featured in the book so that I had original photography. Obviously I couldn't do that anymore. And so I ended up having to find photos, working, looking at photographers' portfolios and really trying to find candid, close-up headshots that felt as if the person who was being featured was looking directly right at the audience, the reader. And that became the thread that I felt would really hold all the photographs together. So it didn't matter that they were different photographers, but because the sort of emotion was so similar, this sort of very deep look into somebody's eyes, um, that that would be what, what held it together. And that for me was the most fun. I, mm-hmm. I loved looking for the photographs, finding the photographs, talking to the photographers, getting permissions. All of that was, was really quite an interesting journey and one that I felt was the most of a stretch for me because I hadn't done that before. And, and, that was something I ended up really enjoying, but the, it was very hard to choose which interviews to include. I had a a very specific criteria. They had to be of a certain length. They, so I had to be able to edit the original interviews, which were all somewhere between six and 10,000 words to, to pieces that were no more than 4,000. Wow. And that was on the very high end. There's probably only a handful of, of interviews that are that long in the book, the most of them were between 1500 and 2,500 words. So I needed to be able to extract a sort of piece of the conversation that felt was a standalone moment in time, as, as Maria put it, that wasn't dependent on a specific project or wasn't going to be dated. And then also felt very universal so, so those those were hard. There were so many people that I wanted to include and then couldn't. So that that was heartbreaking for me. <laughs> wow. and, and then again, as I said, that just the trouble. I, it's been so long because I had my own agency for so long, and now I have my own graduate program where I felt like I needed to get approval on some design that I felt was great, and then didn't get the approval. That was really hard, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would be frustrating. Especially yeah, when at the you know, the first round I was working with Paul Sayer, one of the greatest designers in the yeah. world. And yeah. so we were both really bewildered by the response to the work that we were creating together because we both thought it was great. <laughs> so it was it was that was really challenging. How many cover designs you said you I went think through? there was probably ninety, ninety something. Wow. Yeah, okay. last year wow. at How I showed I showed them all. It was it, people were just 
gobsmacked by it. I think I took a video of that because it was so overwhelming. You know, it was. A lot. I might even have the same video. I think we were all like, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I, you know, of course, had the great music. Yeah, it took about. Well, I was a year delayed because I fell in love, and you know Aww. that first year when you fall in love, how like nothing else matters, and you mm-hmm. don't eat or sleep, and you just like reveling in the new love. Well, that design doesn't matter. Yeah, nothing matters. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing matters. The new podcast. I love that. Um, And so... I think that's also why the, the process was so difficult. I think that my editor had a lot of residual resentment at my having mm. been so late. And it, Roxanne was like, oh, they'll be fine with you being late. I'm late on every, for everything. And somehow I believed her. And then I realized I'm not Roxanne Gay. Like, I don't have the same. Like, she's five New York Times bestsellers. The publishers are like, okay, whatever. You can get it in, Roxanne. That's great. Debbie Millman with, like, you know, Rinky Dick design books. They're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's COVID. What else are you doing? Right. right? So that, well, the first year was was not COVID, and then oh. the second year, when I finally sat down and they said, "If you don't have it in by this date, give us the advance back." Um, oh, I then wow. sat down and and started working on it. It was December of 2019, and so we all know what happened after that. Wow. Oh, yeah. It turned out beautifully, but it's good for yeah. people, no, I think, and, to and, hear that kind of struggle. You know, when you see someone like yourself, Roxanne, we see a lot of finished, polished projects out there. And so the fact that you've always been so vulnerable and sharing, you know, your triumphs and mistakes, you know, or whatever, not mistakes, but you know what I mean? The process mistakes, behind it, yeah, I think, absolutely. super helpful for people just coming up to see that because a lot of times people get on stage and they show their whole finished works and you're just like, wow, you know, and that's aspirational, but it's not kind of just sort of like, I'll never get there, you know? Yeah. So for yeah. someone to see the, and hear your struggles, I think it's really important. You know, and as a writer myself, I, I enjoy hearing that it's not a finished draft every time you sit down. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Never. You know, after Paul sort of threw his hands up in the air and I just want to make it really clear that Paul and I are very close friends. We yeah. traveled to Greece together with our, our spouses uh, over the summer. There's no bad blood at all. We love and adore each other. Um, and now have this sort of story where we can, you know, both curse at the same. You're more connected. <laughs> same. In God, so to speak. Um, but then Alex Kalman came in, and Alex came in at the recommendation of my agent, Charlotte Cheedy, who is, you know, the most glorious human on the planet next to Roxanne. And um, Alex Kalman is the son of Myra Kalman and Tibor Kalman, so you know the provenance there. And he did a magnificent job. And we actually won a, a, an award from Graffis for the design. So I always feel like... Feast is one of the better competitions, and that yep. was super, super incredible for, for both of us. So I mm-hmm. am very grateful for that. That's great. I'd like to talk a little bit about your artwork, and if you still have time to do that, because I think that it has created a visual brand for you that supports everything else you do now, and you seem really committed to it. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. Well, so I haven't been talking about this at all. I think this is the first time I'm publicly talking about this. So I'm working on a new project. I'm calling it a project because I have a really hard time with the word 
that really describes what it is, which I'll spell M E M O I R. And so I call it my project. So every day, Roxanne's like, How's That's everything good. going like with that. your project? And I'm like, Things are going well with the project. Um, and so it is an illustrated M E M O I R. And so I have been doing a lot of artwork and. I will show you one of the images, which I'm happy to share, but just one. And I love that. I love that you just pull out your handbag and we're getting right into it. This is the best, Debbie. Yeah. Oh, well, it's because I, I, I happen to bring in my iPad today because I need it for class and I'm doing a lot of the work on the iPad. And so I'm particularly happy with this illustration. Ooh. Oh, cool. So I'll send now that is to you. That is, I, is, did that say a, the dress says, I wore to the hospital? Yeah, it's a dress that I wore. It's the chapter that starts the book. It is about my being born with a hernia. Mm. And then my grandmother finding, realizing that I had the hernia when she was bathing me when I was four years old. And my first memory of being in the hospital and wow. I remember the dress I wore, um, wow. which was red dress with white stripes. And it looked very much like there was a, a Barbie wannabe doll back then. This was in the 60s called Tammy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like a cheaper version of Barbie. It was called Tammy. And Tammy came in this red and white striped red dress. And so I don't know how or when I ended up seeing something similar for a full-sized four-year-old, but I had that a similar dress. And so I remembered wearing that dress to the hospital, like getting all dressed wow. up to go to the hospital. And so the caption on the drawing is dress I wore to the hospital. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> I have to ask, are you using Procreate to yes. illustrate? Yes, I use Procreate <laughs> for everything on my iPad and my iPad pencil. Don't you just love it? I love it. I am a person that makes a tremendous amount of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so this gives me the ability to correct without having to do everything over, which is what I used to have to do. Right. Now, are you, sorry, we're going down this hole because, you know, I am a procreate whatever. I'm assuming based on your style of illustration and art that you really strive to get it to look as handmade as possible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. And I I mean, I do everything by hand. It's just I do it on a device, on a tablet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I very rarely use the text feature because I like to draw everything by hand and I like to write everything by hand. Right. That's cool. It's very distinguished. You can tell your style when they see it. I'm like, that's Debbie's. Debbie's. Well, when I see you at how, we'll have to compare iPads and Procreate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I'd love to see them close up. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't know this, Karen did an amazing LinkedIn learning Procreate course. So I just need to to give you some props there, Karen, because it's an awesome course. I would actually love to take it because I do sometimes feel hampered by what I don't know. So I actually first found out about being able to do something and draw on Procreate from Oliver Jeffers, the the amazing Mm -hmm. illustrator, writer. And Oliver and I were at Typo Berlin and he said, oh, I want to show you my 
my new book. I'm doing um, my illustrations for my new book. And I thought he was going to like pull out a portfolio and he pulled out his iPad and he showed oh. me these illustrations. And I was just blown away, completely blown away at what he was doing. And so then I went out and got procreate, which is like one of the best deals on the planet, what it costs, yes. like practically yeah, free. Right. And so I then taught myself and I'm limited by what I don't know that I don't know. And so I would love to talk to you about taking some private lessons. Well, one of the things I think you could benefit from taking the course, and I hate to say it that way, but it'll show you how to build up a texture in the background of your artwork so that it does have that handmade feel. Yeah. I've been searching and searching and searching for brushes that will give me a sort of goopy oil paint texture, which is, you need to, it needs to be 3D in order to really feel real. And I have yet to find anything. Oh, we'll connect. Okay. <laughs> Karen can talk about this. I'm obsessed. All day. I, I really need to have a podcast about Procreate, seriously. We should. And Karen, I have to say, I was drawing a t-shirt for my son's graduation. I was doing it in layers and moving stuff around. I'm just like, why don't I not use this program more? It yeah. is it is so fantastic. You should oh, get yeah. royalties. <laughs> Yes. And you can easily, if you want, do whatever and then bring it into Illustrator and trace it. So Debbie, this, this, was my, this was my question. For your project, how many illustrations do you believe you'll end up having? Or is it just up in the air? Up in the air. Up in the air. I, I'm even a little bit squeamish. So I haven't yet really talked about it because I'm so afraid of talking about it and ruining the sort of preciousness of doing this without any fear of audience reaction. So this is going to be it. I'm not talking about it anymore after this podcast. Well, not not that many people listen to the podcast. So think about it that way. <laughs> but what I can say, and this goes back to the question I think Vaughn asked, did I enjoy the process of doing the book? Uh, this one, I'm, I'm really, I'm enjoying the process of making something that I don't have a deadline for, that I don't have expectations for, that I know I'm going to be rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And so there's something really quite wondrous about doing that without any fear yet of reaction, judgment, opinions. It's all right now very internal. And the only person I'm sharing things with is my wife, which is actually I do have to say rather lucky because she's such an extraordinary writer and reader that I feel like I can trust her feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been, it's been really liberating to have – you know, nothing is going up on Instagram. Nothing's going up on Twitter. It's just all really private and come somewhat sacred at the moment. So I kind of love that. I kind of like, That's I mean, pretty- it'd be nice to see the world go a little bit back in that direction, honestly, where we yeah. could use a little less of everyone's, you know, voices and sharing. And I'm yeah. trying to do the same thing, just unshare a little bit, just try to keep some things for myself. And yeah. I think we've just kind of gotten so far and so used to putting everything out there that maybe doesn't need a reaction when it's just for you. So I think that's super smart. But we got to see it, so I'm excited about it. (laughs) 
thinking about your your typography, what was the formation around you creating the What Matters series for for print magazine? Uh, well, thank you for doing that column with me. Well, there are so many people that approach me now about being on the podcast every day. You know, maybe ten a day, maybe sometimes more, and. I just felt like there were so many people that I found so interesting, but I knew that I couldn't, I didn't have the bandwidth to, to interview that many people for the show. And so I wanted to begin to expand my ability to interview more people in a less intensive way, but still with that depth and that soul. One of the other things that I am trying to understand and and will maybe do a talk about this at some point when I feel like I understand it better is one of the questions that I ask because I ask the same questions to everyone which is how long does the feeling of success or accomplishment last because that's something I'm really intrigued by and I think the maximum that we've gotten so far is like a week <laughs> and oh, wow. I, I am really really fascinated by how fast the feelings of accomplishment wane, but how long the feelings of shame last. And so I just want to think about that more. And so I started doing it and I love, I love doing it. I love making a little piece of art with each piece because I was looking to make work for printmag.com. It seemed like a really nice place to, to do this. Mm-hmm. I love it. We will put the What Matters link in the show notes. And I will um, send you all, because Justin's been on the show, I will send the, the other three hosts of this wonderful podcast the questionnaire. And if you want to participate, you can. Nice. I love Great. that. Well, I, I'm loving the revival of Print Magazine. I hadn't had a chance, I don't think, to talk to you about it since everything has relaunched. And it's super fun to watch all of my friends get together and make this amazing, creative, colossal project. How is it going? How is Print Magazine going? It's wonderful. It's a labor of love. You know, we're not making any money, but that's fine. Our, our bills are paid by the little bit of uh, revenue that we are making. So that's good. We're breaking even. We're paying our writers. We're paying our editors. So for those that are listening that might not be aware, the owners of Print Magazine went bankrupt. And... Mm-hmm. And originally it was a print magazine. It was a print magazine that was 80 years old. One of the great national treasures of our Mm -hmm. time, as far as I'm concerned. And then um, went online and I had been working on the magazine with Zach Pettit and Steve Heller and, you know, just the most extraordinary people. Steve had been writing for print magazine for 40 Mm -hmm. plus years. I love his column. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it you know they they went into bankruptcy and then it was going to go to auction and I ended up being able to buy the brand out of bankruptcy with Steve with Laura Desinfant, Deb Aldridge and Jessica Desio and Andrew Gibbs from the Die Line and uh, when we started it it had about maybe seventy five thousand if we were lucky um, page views a month and now we're up over half a million so it's wow. definitely growing That's super fantastic. excited have a lot of uh new writers old writers that have come back into the fray yeah just really really happy that we're doing this and hope that it continues forever and 
but it really does get the the platform it deserves from all of the great writers of the past. I mean, Milton Glaser and Alan Fletcher and Saul Bass. I mean, the artwork that, that we don't have any, the original artwork, but we have every issue as an archive issue. And, you know, it's... You would never see me again. I would just yeah. be like back in the back room somewhere. Yeah. You know? Well, it's here at the School of Visual Arts in my program. If anybody's interested and wants to come visit, I have all the boxes in the back. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, yeah, every wow. issue, every single issue. Oh, I just got wow. chills, like, thinking about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's my jam. I would be, you would never see me again. <laughs> it was always my favorite thing when the, the annual came out. Yeah. To get to the bookstore and get that. So speaking of the annual, the annual is now the Print Design Awards because it's not, we don't want to limit it just to the United States. And mm-hmm. so we'll be announcing this year's winners at the How Conference. Oh, oh excellent. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Deb, Laura, and I will be doing that. Does the annual itself live online in an online format like that? Or how does that, how does that work? That's a really good question. I don't think that there's any full issues yet that you can get online. We'd love to be able to have the entire archive online, sort of the way Vogue does. And white. Yeah, that it would cost a lot of money for yeah. us to digitize mm-hmm. all the issues. We've been thinking about maybe trying to do a Kickstarter, but we we haven't figured out yet how we want to manage that. But it would be it, it's necessary for us to do this at some point, right? Or I'd else make it's going to disappear. Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, it would but... make a great Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever thought about approaching Google and use their book scanning service? No, because they might be into that that's a good idea that's I mean, a really good idea. history yeah i mean it's pretty yeah. important right. to archive that yeah i know some folks that work at google i might do that thank you vaughn great vaughn. idea vaughn vaughn to the vaughn, rescue you, know you can take the rest <laughs> of the day off you just crushed it <laughs> okay oh my god he's blushing look at that it's so cute oh man debbie it's so good to have you here and it's nice to see your big smile and i'm looking forward to seeing you in just a couple of weeks i can't believe it's so close now i know i'm very excited it's going to be a blast it really is coming in saturday night we're going to be there all the way through till wednesday night it's going to be a blast Perfect. Yeah, we're doing the same thing. It should be a good time. So appreciate you coming on the show and playing with us for a little bit. Thanks, Debbie. See you in a couple weeks. Thanks again. This has really been incredible. My absolute pleasure. Can't wait to see you all in Nashville.